Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hey, I'm Christina Wallace. And I'm Kate Scott Campbell. And you're listening to The Limit Does Not Exist. A podcast for human Venn diagrams. Coming at you every single Monday. And hosted by us. Have you ever wondered what Broadway musicals and fintech startups have in common? We definitely have, and so we decided to ask an expert. That's right. We're talking today with Amy Noyakis, founder and president of Anthemus, a digital financial services investment and advisory firm, and founder and chair of Archer Gray, a media production finance and investment company. Yes, Archer Gray has produced some of our favorite films like 20th Century Women and Diary of a Teenage Girl, plus the Broadway musical Once. And with Anthemus, Amy is also a successful early stage investor in financial services startups. We talk about the similarities in creative projects and startups when they are in their earliest stages of development and what kind of people she looks for when she's making an investment. Amy also tells us how a Peace Corps trip to Cameroon led her into a career on Wall Street and she shares how she combines solid data with gut instinct to guide her choices. It's a winning combination to be sure. Here here, here. Let's dive in. Let's do it. 
Hi, Christina. Hi, Kate. Hey, Amy. Hi, guys. How are you? Great. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. I, Thanks uh, for joining us. Yes. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Oh, we're so, we're so thrilled to have you. We have so much mm-hmm. that we want to dive in and ask you about. Um, before we do that, it's a show tradition to discuss an article slash do some listener shout outs. We actually have a little combo of that mm-hmm. tonight <laughs> that we want to <laughs> just chat about briefly. Uh, Emily Dennett, who uh, is a listener of ours and an assistant professor of mathematics, mm-hmm. uh, tweeted us about... Uh, the passing of Dr. Marina Ratner. She contributed much to the field of mathematics. Um, And Emily tweeted at us, I can't wait to share this with my students to show you are never too old to learn math. So Mm -hmm. we'll jump into why she wrote that. But I just need to say that I would love to be a student of Professor Dennett. (laughs) Oh, totally. So Emily. She's tweeted us before with some some cool Venn diagram uh, shout out. So uh, thanks, Emily, for being such a great listener. But yes. no, I love this article. Um, you know, Maria uh, Ratner, Professor Ratner, I love this the, this article written about her. The first quote from any of her peers is uh, from Anatole Katuk mm-hmm. at Pennsylvania State University who says, the beginning of her career was not particularly promising, which is not a particularly, um, you know, usual way to start an obit. But I, I just love this because it goes on to to explain how a common belief in mathematics is that um, mathematicians who don't do great work by the age of 40 never will. And we recently were talking about um, the first woman who ever won the Fields Medal, Miriam Mirzakhani, who just recently died. Um, the Fields Medal is like the Nobel Prize in mathematics, but it can only be won by a mathematician under the age of 40, which, which I didn't the realize. Nobel Prize does not have such a restriction. Mm-hmm. It's honestly, it's ridiculous as far as you know. I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what's so great about Marina was that her big breakthrough, her most influential theorem, she proved after she turned fifty. Um, so it just—it's a great reminder that like you don't have to be on like the Forbes 30 under 30 list, <laughs> or you're going to be a nobody. Yeah. Um, that you know you can do great work throughout your lifetime and um i just remember you know johnny in last week's episode talking about how sometimes human venn diagrams might i don't know uh grow into their success and their their insights a little bit later in life because they have multiple things they're juggling um and that's not bad. So I don't know if it just makes me feel better about never having been on a Forbes 30 under 30 or or, or whatever. But like, thank you, Emily, for sharing this article. And, uh, you know, thank you, Marina Ratner, for being such an awesome mathematician. Yes. Here, here. I didn't realize that there is this common belief that, that, Mm -hmm. you know, a mathematician who doesn't, um, you know, get on the map early won't. Uh, Yeah, well, they say it's a young man's game, which is like got two issues in that one statement, Right, young man. But I remember I directed a play, Proof, uh, David Auburn's Proof. Uh, for my, I was in that play. I love that. Play. Yeah, not, not the one in, you directed, sadly. College. But yeah, <laughs> and, um, I don't know if you remember this, but they were talking about how one of the characters was talking. Hal was yeah. talking about how um, all the mathematicians were like going to stay up all night doing speed and writing proofs, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and that mm-hmm. it was you know very clearly a young man's game because you have to have that kind of intensity and the stamina to you know to really kind of work through the night. Um, and to f- find those kind of brilliant insights. 
Uh, and I, I never quite understood it then, and I'm frustrated that that perception continues to this day. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because there is this romantic idea about those like crazy sprints, right? Those like working through the night and like, you know, chugging Red Bull and, and whatever, whatever you need to do. I like to think of my career uh, as, as a long walk, you know? And, and I think like, of course, it makes sense that Dr. Ratner created what she did at the age that she did. She uh, came from Moscow. She had many, many hardships that she went through. And mm -hmm. not only that, but she was gaining, you know, as we all do, I like to think, uh, experience and wisdom and insights mm -hmm. uh, that one would think would help her unlock things uh, as she continues to gain more and more of them, you know? Absolutely. Um, so bravo to uh, Dr. Ratner for defying these pervasive ideas of, you know, for, for not stopping, really, right, mm -hmm. when she got to a certain age, for continuing to go because it continues to inspire all of us to do the same well, thing. And I love the last quote of this obit where uh, they were reflecting on a conversation that she had had with another mathematician. And uh, and when he was discussing her papers with her, he said he had this feeling that she had written the papers not for other mathematicians, but um, to convince herself that the theorems were correct. And she replies, <laughs> yes, exactly. Now you understand why and how I write mathematics. Mm -hmm. And I just I loved that so much that it wasn't it wasn't for anyone else. It was just for herself. Absolutely. And, and to me, that, that's what brings the real stamina, right? If you, if you really are doing it for you, exactly. if you love it, if you remain curious, um, because you love that so much, Absolutely. Uh, then you never want to stop. Um, that's so Speaking wonderful. of curious. Yeah. <laughs> Great segue, Christina. That means, Amy, that we are directing our attention, uh, over to you. We, um, are, 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 as we said, so thrilled to have you here. Um, and we want to jump right in with, with what you're up to now. So you currently hold not one, but two roles. Uh, founder and CEO of Archer Gray, which is a media production and investment company, and founder and president of Anthemis, a hybrid VC advisory firm that invests in early stage digital financial services companies. Um, and you also work with large financial institutions on innovation projects. So each of those roles sounds like a full-time role in and of itself. <laughs> Can you tell us a bit more about the work that you do at both companies? Yeah, I mean, I, first off, I you know just listening to kind of what you guys were talking about for Dr. Ratner, I think as a as a woman of a certain age, I'm 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 thrilled to hear stories like that because I think the optimism that comes, the idea that we're just getting started um, it, at any point in our life is is a pretty cool concept, um, and yes. and I certainly as an entrepreneur feel like, you know, the best is still very much yet to come. Um, and, and I think we should all feel that way Absolutely. because that's the way the world should work. I spent my entire career um, before starting my companies uh, on Wall Street and, and grew up in the sort of 90s, early 90s Wall Street world mm. um, and watched as um, – the sort of uh, dot, first dot com revolution occurred, and and was inside of a large financial institution, and and for whatever reason, largely driven by probably my own personal circumstances, didn't have um, the the freedom to really jump out then. And 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 if I were honest with myself, um, 
you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. but I, <laughs> there wasn't anything that felt particularly inspiring hmm. to kind of get me to leave kind of the more structured Wall Street world at that point. And so I started to dig internally to sort of figuring out what companies um, were going to need in the future and, and what they were going to look like. And, and very specifically in the financial services world, started to appreciate that there was a huge opportunity to do something very different inside of what was already a, a fairly traditional environment. And mm. so I think that, you know, I think back to kind of how I got to where, where I am and, and sort of what I'm doing about companies. It really was just a journey to, to, to find a way to stand out, um, to think a little differently than, than everybody around me was thinking. And it really led me into a space that started to appreciate how the future of work and the future of companies were starting to evolve. And, and so in that sense, starting two very different companies when I left my traditional role, if there was anything that was surprising, about it is I probably didn't think that both would work. So that was that was sort of a big part of it is that, that, that there was never any intention to sort of start two equally intense startups in two different industries at the same time. But because they did, um, I had to find a way to balance it. And mm-hmm. and I'm I'm so glad that I did because I think now, you know, many years later, the the sort of place that I'm at in life in terms of my own kind of personal life balance and, and work balance and, and my contentedness with what I'm doing um, has me probably more uh, satisfied and, and, and certainly more um, excited about what I'm doing than I've ever been in my life. And, and I think that comes in large part because I've had that really great space to, to balance between the two. Awesome. So, so how do you manage these two roles on a day-to-day basis? Do you split your time in the morning you do one, in the afternoon you do the other, or do are they are they, you know, cyclical and they kind of can can wax and wane? Like yeah, how do you it's How do you been, make it work? <laughs> usually one sort of takes a little bit more. It, it's, you know, it, it's like having multiple children, right? Like mm-hmm. one is going to take a little bit more attention than others sometimes. Um, yeah. Neither is your favorite, but you have to sort of figure out what people need and when they need it. Um, yeah, I, I think it, it's probably more cyclical, um, generally speaking. So so there are periods of time, um, you know, particularly right now, I'm, I'm spending a, a significant amount more time with Anthemus um, in large part because of some of the growth that we've gone through in the last couple of years um, and some of the the stuff that's happening in the marketplace and, and there's kind of a really good energy and, and, and time and space to invest in, in early stage financial services companies. But um, what I try to do in any capacity every day is to do a little bit of the other one, no mm. matter what it is, um, mm. because I think it helps keep me really nimble. And quite mm-hmm. frankly, I think it keeps me smarter. And, and particularly when it comes to sort of adding a bit of um, you know, creative energy to my day um, when I dive into something for Archer Gray, and then to pull it back and and then go back to the work that I was doing at Anthemus. It just it just has me thinking differently, and and I I feel like I've built a whole career on on trying to sort of zig while others are zagging, and and the best way to do that that I've found in my current world is to really you know put the energy into the one that needs it, mm-hmm. give it its focus, um, you know, spend the time that I need to spend. But when I need a break, using using my other um, company to balance out the, the sort of energy and the, and the, the workload. Now, do you have a team at both where, you know, someone else is kind of keeping it going on a day-to-day when you might be focused on the other? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's okay. the, the biggest part, particularly Archer Gray. Archer Gray, um, since I dove into Anthemus in the last couple of years, um, the Archer Gray team is really, you know, they can run it without me. Um, okay. And that's that's a big part of, of being able to kind of balance between the two. Um, and they, they and, and I would say on the Anthemus side, you know, we were talking um, before the, the – the, the, the show started about this idea of, of co-founders and having mm-hmm. sort of multiple people to lean on. And, and for me, mm-hmm. the significantly, you know, sort of biggest reason why I, I've been able to do what I've done is because I've had amazing partners on both sides of both companies. And my co-founders um, at Anthemus, you know, have really been unbelievable. When we started um, Anthemus together, Sean and I um, built it starting in 2008, and then Nadeem and, um, joined in 2010. And, and between the three of us, we had a very clear sense of what our our strengths were and and where our weaknesses were and how we needed to support each other. And so knowing that for a period of time between 2010 and 2015, really the end of 14, I wanted to dig into Archer Gray. They were phenomenal. And they said to me, you know, early on, when we need you full time, would you be conscious of coming back? And I said, absolutely. All you have to do is ask. And, Mm -hmm. and I think, and I would do the same for them. And I think having those partners, those those kind of that natural partnership where, where the trust is there, where the communication is there and the camaraderie is there um, makes all the difference. I couldn't do it without my partners on either side for sure. That's really incredible. You know, it seems like a relationship like that is something that, you know, with investment uh, and and time strengthens, hopefully, right? That's what you hope. And yet Mm -hmm. we were talking about that because in this recent Business Insider interview, you mentioned that um, at Anthemus, when you're investing in a company, it's almost exclusively about the people and about looking at the founders and the co-founders. And I'm so curious, like when you're looking at a new company, you know, with maybe relatively new co-founders, like what are you, what are you looking for? What, what qualities are you looking for? Um, you know, when you're looking at uh, co-founder pairs and I'm wondering if those same rules apply for, you know, when you're looking at media creators uh, yeah. on the Archer Gray side. Absolutely. I mean, first, first and foremost, the the the, the beauty of of stretching be, between two different industries is that I get to see all the things that are incredibly similar and complementary about both both businesses, mm-hmm. and I see it on a regular basis. But one of the things that's been phenomenal to me is that it that there aren't that many differences, right? And and I think <laughs> it all starts with kind of the the the, the, the root of why I. I went into sort of more entrepreneurial pursuits to begin with hmm. that, that, you know, and this is going to sound a little bit probably, well, no, not to you guys. Cause you guys are sort of in the, in the STEM world as well, but, but there's this, there's this sort of um, view that the industrial age and the industrial um, economy that, that we sort of left behind um, at the beginning of this century um, and, and moved more towards a digital environment. And, and what I'm doing in these companies and what we're trying to do is, is try to identify um, the, the next generation of companies, both in media and in financial services, um, that take into account this shift into the digital age, right? But it's not just technology that defines the digital age, right? It's not mm-hmm. about the platforms that things are built on or, or the, the sort of necessarily the interaction of, of customers with, with the businesses and products that, that you're deploying. It's about the people and the community that you're putting together to deliver new products, new services, to address new markets, to address consumer needs, changing consumer needs, new demographics. Um, and I think more than ever, we're seeing such a, a, a significant shift towards respecting and appreciating how a diverse community of people bring the most efficiency and the best business to light. 
And, and I think, um, for me, the concept of, of being a tech investor is less relevant than being someone whose job it is, is to find early stage people who are about to build the companies of the future. And, and remember, we're, we're also investing in both companies at the early stage. So this is kind of seed rounds, um, series A. And, and because of that, a lot of the companies and the models that we're looking at are, are pre-revenue. They haven't, haven't made any money yet. And they're really trying to, um, you know, kind of establish a footprint. And, and in that stage, the products that they're developing are in some cases not even relevant, right? They need <laughs> to appreciate that there's a market that they can serve. But if the people aren't the right team to execute, they won't succeed, not at the very earliest stage of this stuff. So a lot of it is on judging and, and recognizing that certain um, element in, in, the, in the team, in the founding team, and also trusting your instinct and, and your gut. I mean, you know, we, we talk quite a bit about knowing within the first 15 minutes if we truly are going to dig deeper into a company or not. Um, and that's largely based on your earliest conversations with the team. Um, but I would say for sure that's 100% true in the creative industry as well, right? I mean, you, you're, my job as an entrepreneur or as a producer is very similar. As an investor, as a producer, is very similar. I really believe that it's it's my job to find good ideas, find good people, listen to their pitch, listen to what they're trying to accomplish, whether it's making a movie, putting together a Broadway show, or, or um, building a new uh, financial services company – giving them the resources, the sharing expertise, putting a network around them to be able to help them succeed, and then getting out of their way. Um, you know, we've always said, it, both um, um, at Archer Gray and the production side, with our directors and our filmmakers and, and on, the, on the side of the, the, the entrepreneurs, if we have to do the job for them, we're not going to like the end result. <laughs> um, totally think, true. You know, that's part of being able to step back and, and let people, um, you know, follow their dreams and, and live out their, their passions. So I'm I'm fascinated by this though because if I if I were to think about it, you know, I, I haven't invested on the Broadway side before, but I've looked quite a bit on the angel investing side within tech, right? Mm -hmm. And if you if you think about um, you know, the the startup side as you just described, you know, you have a great founding team, you might have identified a customer problem and the solution or the company idea, the product idea will probably change quite a bit from you know what you first identified but really if you if you understand the customer problem and the market need uh and you're great founders then like you'll figure it out ish yeah. that's um, no, and more than ish it, that's 100% ish, right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like on the art side you know you've been involved in this wide range of projects you you've worked on the Broadway musical once you 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 know were involved in 20th century women and diary of a teenage girl and Mr. Holmes I can't imagine that these creators came to you and said I've identified a white space in the market for <laughs> musical and I don't really know what the musical is going to be but I think it's going to have something to do with you know a guitar and some singing <laughs> right, right. and figure it out right like yeah. it, it's it's not it's not the same there where they're coming to you with like a vision and, you know, early drafts maybe of a, of a, a you know, a script or, or a workshop, but like on the art side, they're coming, I would imagine much more with a, you know, a, a vision and a product and needing the support to get that vision realized. Is that accurate or is there actually more similarity in the process than I'm seeing? I think there's more similarity in the process than you're seeing. And I think, I, I, I guess I can say that confidently because I'm in the unique, unique position to watch it from both sides, right? Mm -hmm. The one thing I never um, deny entrepreneurs in, in a first conversation about what they're building or what they're creating is the appreciation that this for them 
is fully driven by passion. You know, they, it is very hard to start a company and it is very difficult to do it um, in, a, in an environment where you don't have the finances, you don't have the resources, and you might not even have the expertise. But to be able to see something so clearly that you want and figure out that, you know, you think you can go after it, it it's, it's, you know, that, that to me is passion. And, and I think to suggest that, that entrepreneurs don't have a similar level of kind of creative energy and passion um, you know, on the one side and then on the, on the, the creative side, you know, I think, yeah, you're absolutely, it's not as, um, it's probably not as, as, um, elemental as I've sort of laid out, but, but the reality is when, when a filmmaker or a writer comes to you with an idea, um, you know, the passion and the vision that they have, um, in many cases, the, the, the version of what we talk about on day one versus the version of what ends up actually, Going into the theaters, sometimes six, seven, ten years later, is mm-hmm. is 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 often not exactly the same, right? The, the, vision, is, <laughs> sure. the vision is probably there, but mm-hmm. how they imagined the story unfolding, um, how they imagined casting, um, you know, everything from the the decision of what cinematographer to bring on. I mean, there's elements of this that you know can change a project tremendously as it sort of starts to, to, to unfold. Um, and so I think, you know, the early stage, which, which again is, is the place that we love to work both at Archer Gray and Anthemus is really getting mm-hmm. in in the earliest stages. That's, that's a, that is a whiteboard, right? It is a, it is a beautiful idea, a beautiful moment with a lot of passion and a lot of conviction. Um, but in many cases, not much else. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that's our job as producers and as investors is to help, um, these leaders and these 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 brilliant visionaries um, put the resources around what they're doing in order to give it the life that it deserves. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy to use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but like I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. You're listening to The Limit Does Not Exist with Christina Wallace and Kate Scott Campbell. I'm so curious on the creative project media side. Who are you as a producer, in, generally speaking, yeah. dealing directly with when you're, you know, when you're looking to finance a project? Are you interested in meeting with the writer and director, whether those are the same or different people personally? Yeah. Are you working with other producers? Um, sort of when, when do you like to come in uh, in the evolution of a project and who do you like to to talk to first. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting because I, you know, I mean, we started this conversation talking about the people being the most important um, mm-hmm. element of anything you do and, and partnerships, I think, are the same. I mean, at, at Archer Gray, we have a, um, we have sort of different parts of our business, um, but on the production side of our business, we we have a, a fairly robust slate of, of north of 20 projects um, that we've developed from sort of seedlings, right? These are things that, that we've identified uh, intellectual property, we've identified books, we've identified mm-hmm. stories, articles, and, and optioned those from the beginning, mm-hmm. um, brought on the writer, bringing on filmmakers, and building it from the ground up. So, you know, and I've, we've also done it in, in other ways. We've done it where we've come on as producers for hire um, mm-hmm. on someone else's project that's a little bit more evolved. Um, they might need somebody to bring it over the line um, from, from a physical production perspective. Um, and we've also had uh, had had experiences just being the sort of executive producer financier uh, piece of the project as well. And that, again, it comes down to the partnerships. And you have to, mm-hmm. you have to first fall in love with the story. You have to fall in love with the idea. Um, and if you can see an outcome that, that, you know, feels in sync with what the filmmaker or the production team, if it's in the case of other partners um, are bringing to you, then, then, then that's all, all it sort of takes to start the conversation, but you definitely have to have a, a connection with the people because it's, and I don't, I believe that in generally in life, because it, life is too short to, to not work with people that you're getting good things from. Um, mm-hmm. because we can, you know, there's not, there's enough, there's enough content and enough people out there that, that working with, um, those who inspire you <laughs> is a yeah. much better choice and option. Yeah. True story. Absolutely. <clears throat> you also mentioned in that Business Insider interview that in the early stage, you might not have the product right, and that's okay. We encourage that sort of working around the details and a little bit of failure. So tell us more about this and sort of your relationship to failure. How has failure informed your work? Mm. 
That's a great question. Um, you know, I, I think for me, I have been probably since I was a small child, um, fairly driven, ambitious, and 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 kind of described in our modern world as sort of type A personality. And, and I think that when you go through life like that, it's very infrequently that, that what defined you are your failures, right? It's more about how do you just keep moving, keep moving, mm. keep moving. And and I mm. think for me, taking a pause at sort of different turning points in my 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 life and recognizing that maybe what I had imagined for myself, either personally or professionally, wasn't really exactly how it turned out. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead of just shoving through that and, and pushing it kind of under the desk, so to speak, and, and, and ignoring it, I've really tried to use it to evolve my thinking and to be self-aware about, you know, what might be a better fit for me. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I don't know if this is a great example of, of failure per se, but certainly spending, spending a significant amount of time inside of a traditional Wall Street firm and recognizing that, that no matter how hard I pushed at that particular time at my career and in that particular time in life, it was going to be really hard for me to be taken as seriously as some of my male counterparts. And that was really frustrating because Mm. it felt like a personal failure. It felt like there was nothing I could do to change who I was and and nor did I want to do anything to change who I was. But there was this element of, of me wondering if it was ever going to matter, you know, and, and, and so taking a a step there and and saying, gee, maybe I, I don't have to stay in this strict structure and and maybe I can live out my dreams and my expectations in a different way. I had never imagined myself starting my own companies. That was not, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't not entrepreneurial, but I, I just, just assumed that I think I was on a path and, and I was mm-hmm. on, a, on a very good path and, and one that many people, in fact, when I resigned, um, I, I had uh, my, my boss had said to me, if you get off this treadmill now, you'll never get back on again. And, wow. and that's a really scary period because I felt like I was making the wrong decision and I was making a huge mistake. And, and, um, you know, having that, that sort of moment of, of, <laughs> I can remember <laughs> that the day after, you know, it's, I was, and I was a, I was a young CEO, right? Like I, I, I kind of, jetted up there and and my whole life was defined by my career and and my title and and all that sort of stuff that now seems like pretty much nonsense and I can remember the first day I dropped my um then three-year-old off uh at preschool and it was my first day of you know my new retired world before I'd kind of really dug into either Anthemis or Archer Gray and (laughs) I he'd he'd watched me for three years you know working 16 hours and traveling here and traveling there. And on the first day I leaned over and said, goodbye, baby, have a great day at school. And he just looked at me and turned back and in front of all the other moms and all the other um, parents just said, bye mom, have a great day at the gym. And I just oh. looked at him and I thought, it doesn't matter to him. Oh. <laughs> or Ben, or imagine myself that I worried about, it doesn't matter. That little three-year-old, all he sees is somebody in sweatpants and he doesn't care. Oh, man. <laughs> it's just incredibly eye-opening and just yeah. really that sort of moment of, it doesn't matter what people think of who you are or what you are. It's just about what you, what what you're doing and how you're spending your days. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Amy, we've been told that your philosophy is based on following your instinct, that you've never really believed in mapping out long-term career goals tied to one field. Um, you know, but instead following your passions is what we're talking about and surrounding yourself with amazing people that constantly challenge you. This definitely piques our interest, this idea of following your instinct. Mm -hmm. And I'm so interested in hearing more about this philosophy, sort of how you developed it and, and how you figured out 
how to follow your instincts. You know, that's something that is not always mm. easy starting out. Um, but, you know, sort of how you've seen that play out in your in your career. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I, I always have to preface this and mostly because my partners would kill me if I didn't, um, that, that when you're an investor following your instinct, I think is about the most important thing you can do. But the reason why I and my partners are able to do that is because we are very widely supported by a lot of the data and statistics that actually help us <laughs> trust those instincts. Um, you know, it's not a, it's not a game of, of just hitting the arrow and seeing, seeing what hits. Mm. Um, I, I have always thought that, um, you know, we as, as animals and as sort of human beings have these wonderful, wonderful bodies and minds that have been sort of given to us with, with kind of <laughs> no rhyme or reason as to sort of why we do the things we do. And and I think that if you can um, rid yourself of a lot of the the noise and, and, and other people's perceptions and other people's beliefs and other people's opinions, there's a lot of natural stuff that sort of comes from that. And, and for me, you know, I, I go back to kind of my earliest days when I was working um, in Guillaume de Cameroon and in the Peace Corps and, and um, recognizing kind of moments that would have otherwise been pretty scary for a 20 year old to kind of be wandering around and, and, um, you know, getting into sort of situations where, um, you know, just trusting your gut and trusting sort of a, an instinct has gotten me out of trouble. And, you know, these are sort of more like life and death situations and then kind of walking through the events of, um, uh, just after September 11th, um, where I was uh, part of a team at Counter Fitzgerald, um, who was a very small part of the team that 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 wasn't in the office on that morning, um, when 658 of our our colleagues um, were killed, and 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 the sort of there's no playbook for that, right? There's no rule book for how you behave when your company is decimated and your friends have all died. And, and so I think at that point in life, I had to make some calls and do some things that wouldn't have been the same things that any other human being would have done, but it was what, you know, you go to your comfort space and when you're kind of traumatized in a way that I think all of us were at that moment, you, you don't have a choice but to, but to pick on the stuff that comes very naturally to you. And, and so I think that that whole story, which, which I'm not sure has been told in, in the most beautiful way that it should be someday, but this, this idea that you had a whole group of survivors really who were crushed um, emotionally and physically um, coming together really with no proper business plan or business strategy or, or, or even an office space and, and all kind of going to their comfort zones and putting it back together again. Um, and I think that that is a perfect, uh, example of instinct in action. Um, and, and, and I think that as, as, you know, as I've grown as a leader and as a manager, um, it's something that I never forget. You know, I, that was a lesson that, that taught me certainly that life is short and that we don't know what happens to us tomorrow or five minutes from now. Um, so we have to be as much in the present as possible in everything we're doing. Um, but from an instinct perspective, it's just silly not to trust it. You know, it's just yeah. silly not to. That's incredible, Amy. Oh my wow. gosh. I have chills. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I was beautiful. going to mention, um, uh, you know, that it's interesting. There's a professor. She used to be at Wharton. I think she's now at HBS, Laura Huang, who has done a, a fair amount of research on how angel investors make their decisions. And her research really boils down to it's all gut instinct. Yeah. That, that especially at the early stage, you know, I think like Malcolm Gladwell has, you know, popularized this with his books. But, um, at that, that early stage when you don't have a lot of, 
uh, of, you know, hard data, um, that you are, you know, taking in a ton more data, um, maybe subconsciously than you can really kind of put words to. And your, your gut is telling you in some way, based on what you've learned in these other circumstances that you've been exposed to, um, the, the way to go. And frequently in her research, it shows that these early stage investors will then find, you know, the data that they can put numbers to and, and things that, that doesn't, you know, reinforce and, and sort of support their decision. But often their gut has made the decision before the data has told yeah. them to make the decision. Yeah. That's um, certainly been is, my, my experience um, yeah. through my whole career. You know, I've been lucky enough to surround myself with people whose skills complement mine. But, but um, you know, I, I've had many a COO sort of running after me saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, let me run the numbers before I think that's the right thing. You know, <laughs> but, and I also think it works in the creative space as well. I mean, I, you know, I think mm-hmm. when any time you look at something that is about, um, Piquing the interest of 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 the masses, or or a kind of trend setting, um, whether it's telling a story, or or um, writing a book, or or you know bringing a film or a television show to life, you you really do have to trust that the that the the story on your way into it um, is one that will resonate. And mm-hmm. and there's no 100%. special math or or, right. or formula that allows you to know. Well, if we do this and we cast this person, you know, there will there will be a lot of people that tell you that there are right. There are from a financial perspective things about putting a project together that help it be more commercial than others. But finding mm-hmm. something that's going to break out in mm-hmm. a way that touches people and is commercially relevant, um, you know, is 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 a lot about your instinct. Well, sure. yeah. And I would say, you know, on the creator side, I think there is this like really interesting dichotomy that often the things that feel, you know, at conception, the most personal, the most like idiosyncratic and oh my gosh this is so unique to my experience and my instincts so no one can possibly understand it those are the things that then are so universal because <laughs> they're so they start from such a personal place yeah it's this really interesting duality that that you're hitting on i love that so one of the things we've started talking about more explicitly on this show is the range of business models that exist for creatives especially these days and yet the minimal exposure that creatives get during their mm-hmm. formal education. So what is the, in your opinion, sort of what's the best way for artists to learn the business side of their industry and, you know, the platforms and the tools that they might even be able to adapt from or steal from entrepreneurs? Yeah. I, I've thought a lot about this because I, I, you know, when I came into this industry um, from, from a fairly strict financial services background, it was very intimidating for me because I had to question or trust whether or not I had any creative instinct whatsoever. Hmm. Um, and whether or not, you know, I would understand the rules of, of what it meant to be creative, right. Or how to sort mm-hmm. of allow that to, to come to please. But I, when I look at it from the other perspective, I, I honestly believe it's about, um, demystifying the process and the, the, the business elements for these folks that we really feel have a story to tell and, mm-hmm. and a voice that should be heard. And the, the interesting thing about it is, is in, you know, it goes without saying that, that, that those who hold sort of the money and the control over the, 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 the sort of financial resource hold a lot of control over everything. And I don't think that's necessarily uh, something that is unique to the creative industry, right? It, it's true um, in the venture capital industry. We've seen a lot of, of things that have sort of come out in the last couple of um, 
months that that haven't been particularly great stories because of people trying to control and lout that sort of control over the money hmm. um, with the people that are sort of trying to support or not support. And and I think in some ways we have to be pretty brave about breaking down that mystical world that that only the money knows the answer, mm-hmm. right? And only the money has the way to make this work. Um, and, and you know, part of it is, I don't think there's any sort of, you know, singular MBA that you can do, but it's about, certainly for creatives um, in the filmmaking and, and the, the theater and television world, I think it's about finding good producing partners and finding good team members that can help you, mentor you in this process and not make it about keeping you away from it, right? Um, and, and I've done a lot of work um, on panels and, and mentoring um, young filmmakers and, and, and folks that really are intimidated by the whole process. And, and I, don't, I, I think it's, it's wrong for us to make them feel intimidated by it. I think that's a control mm. mechanism. Um, it's not that difficult, right? It's not rocket science. But, <laughs> but it is if you, if you keep it under this sort of black cloud of secrecy and, and, and use it as, as sort of a control mechanism. Um, so I, I'm, I'm fairly... Um, optimistic about the future because I think there's never been a better time, particularly for women, um, to be in a position where others want to help unveil some of this magic, you know, this sort of financial <laughs> mystery magic. Um, and I think that there is certainly um, no shortage of of producers out there that are willing to work with with filmmakers and and creatives um, to help them fully understand this. And, and I actually, you know, we're a unique bunch at Archer Gray because. We are extremely, on the one hand, on the production side and our development side, incredibly creative, and we are creative producers for sure. Um, you know, my my president of production, Ann Carey, um, is one of the the, the sort of uh, you know, uh, I, I bow to her. She's got this sort of amazing <laughs> eye and instinct and ability to sort of spot story um, in a place that that is is a very crowded marketplace, right? But mm-hmm. on the other side um, of the business, we really do look at um, investing in the companies of tomorrow um, and the the ideas and companies that will sort of define the way people will consume the content that we're creating. So if we we sort of imagine ourselves on one end creating good content, quality content that we believe people want to and should see, and then on the other side investing in the, the, the people, the ideas, and the companies that define essentially how the consumption of that content will take place in the future. And so we have in-house a really great team of analytically thinking, creative geniuses um, that I think um, most folks don't have. Uh, and, and I think, you know, my, my advice to, to, to folks in the creative industry is you should find people like that and, mm-hmm. and, and not be afraid to admit your failings or your shortcomings um, because I think trying to fake it is, is probably as bad as, as not knowing, <laughs> you know, how to, what to do with it in the first place. Yeah. Um, but it, but it isn't, it's a, you know, it can be a very scary place, but it, sh- it shouldn't be. And I think all of our jobs should be to, to, to demystify the process. Here, here. Yeah. Here, here. I love that. It's like the number one, you know, step seems to be just, it's okay to not know. Yeah, <laughs> Allow okay yourself. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay to ask and to seek people who know things that you don't, that complement, uh, you know, what you do know. And it's really, it's really inspiring too, Amy, to hear that, you know, when you were first um, starting Archer Gray, thinking about, you know, do I have what it takes to, to, to be in this sort of on this creative side? You know, I'm curious as to, you know, how you sort of started to embrace that, like, yes, I absolutely can yeah. do this. I can uh, work in a, you know, in the creative field. Um, did that sort of happen over time for you or? 
it's still happening. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I think that that's a good thing. And, yeah. And, and so, you know, if we take a page out of Dr. Ratner's book, um, hopefully that will be <laughs> happening for a very long period of time. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, I look, the, the early days, I was very lucky to come into this industry um, as a first as a financier and in that capacity, um, you know, you, you just as I just said, you know, you get you get a certain amount of access um, that you wouldn't have if you were starting mm-hmm. from scratch in the production space and in the creative production space. Um, and so I could have used that to bop people over the heads and, and wrangle my way into things. And, and I, I don't think that I did. Um, I did. I didn't said um, and, and I think it would have been very easy to to surround myself with people that would have been disrespectful of the position I was coming from or where I could have, um, you know, rode ripshaw over them and, and not given them the respect that they deserve. But I think my approach to it was to appreciate how little I knew and how much I had to learn. Um, mm-hmm. And it was so inspiring to know that I was at, you know, mid of my career and mid of my life, but still being able to start something from scratch. And um, so I surrounded myself with the most amazing people in the industry. Um, and, and I've allowed myself to learn from them. Um, I, you know, I have asked some really stupid questions. I'm sure that that if you interviewed them, you could get a whole laundry list of probably books worth. And, you know, there were moments like the first time on set, I remember everybody kind of, you know, yelling out things and I was kind of back Googling, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> but it was, but it was great. And, and, you know, I think if you're not afraid to sort of, to own your own um, ignorance, I think that's a big part of it. And, and the other thing that I did, um, you know, which was, part and parcel to sort of really diving in is I, I just, I, I just optioned my own material as well. Um, and that was helpful because it, because coming together with a partner who already had a book of business that, that was sort of, you know, her projects. And I think sort of once I got to a position where I felt more confident optioning stuff as well, it, it became about being able to dig in and, and I knew it was going to take longer on some of them. Um, and I think that's okay. And that's, what's so brilliant about it. And I, and I think, um, I still have so much more to learn and I'm, really looking forward to that because I, I hope I'm doing this forever. That's that's so inspiring. Mm-hmm. So, Amy, you mentioned being in the Peace Corps in Cameroon and you had no a, big deal. Yeah, no big deal. <laughs> we didn't want to let that one slip past us uh, because you also have a bachelor's in international studies. And so I'm so curious, you know, when did you decide that you wanted to have a career in business? Was your international studies bachelor uh, bachelor's strategic towards that? Or was it something that surprised you to have this to jump into a business career? Yeah. I mean, considering I was I was pretty much charting out where I thought I would be when I was 14 years old, um, it actually was a complete surprise. Um, I had gone <laughs> to school and and was sort of you know puttering through through, through life, um, assuming that I would take a role that was more um, around public service and specifically around maybe working for the State Department or going out the kind of a junior ambassadorial route, working for not for profits, mm-hmm. um, NGOs wow. abroad. And and um, when I was abroad for my junior year um, and had the opportunity to to work for a handful of different non-government organizations and, and then including the Peace Corps, it became really clear to me that I didn't really feel I had any skills to offer, right? I, I felt like I was... Um, you know, I had this wonderful desire to save the world and, and to, to be part of something that, that felt really big and amazing, but I didn't feel I could bring anything to it. And it felt a little selfish, um, particularly after spending the time I did in Cameroon. Um, I think for me, that was one place where um, I always swore that I, I didn't want to go back to the continent unless I felt I could actually bring something to it, as opposed mm-hmm. to just feeling what was for me an amazing opportunity to learn and, and grow. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I got back, I, I marched into the career services office um, at my 
university and I said, I am, um, you know, I really like to work on wall street because I think I need to build some skills, um, and, and maybe potentially a network that will help me do the things that I really want to do in life. And she just sort of laughed, you know, I mean, I was wearing Birkenstocks and had (laughs) hair, maybe had just come out of braids and dreadlocks. And it was not a, it was not your typical investment banker profile. And so (laughs) I hadn't taken any classes. Um, um, but I was lucky enough to graduate at a time, which, you know, I think the banks and, and financial services companies are getting back to, but for a while they've lost it. Mm-hmm. But um, I was uh, really lucky to graduate at a time when, when a lot of the banks were very open-minded about who they were looking to bring in. And mm-hmm. it was kind of early stages of globalization. The world was changing. Um, your sort of traditional MBA finance candidates weren't cutting it anymore. Um, and so I was uh, a, a recruiter's dream come true, right? Because <laughs> I, yeah. couldn't, I couldn't claim to have any skills. That was for sure. Um, I <laughs> <laughs> I only had my story and my passion and my ambition and mm. uh, my willingness to learn. And, and um, again, I think it was another example of how whether I, I meant to do it or not, I, I stood out amongst my peers. And, and that's why when we talk to entrepreneurs, we always, always, always encourage them to think very open-mindedly about who their teams are, right? Bringing diverse people with diverse backgrounds, um, a, a certain amount of divergent thinking into the team that can allow the best ideas to evolve and, and to be fostered and also to argue and, and to kind of have that contrarian attitude. Um, that's mm-hmm. where the best stuff happens. Um, and, and for me, that was kind of, I think, what happened to me and how I got myself on Wall Street. You weren't joking when you said story. you like to zag when everyone else zags. <laughs> Birkenstocks and Wall Street. So you mentioned I this is I'm curious. You you mentioned in the Business Insider interview that you don't like the term fintech. <laughs> Can you tell us why? Yes. Uh, you know, well, it's funny because when Sean, my partner and Anthemus and I um, first started out in, in early stage investing, there was no definition of what we were doing. Um, and certainly throughout our careers, um, the three of us, uh, Nadine, Sean, and I, um, were executives of financial services without much of a tech background, any of us, right? We were, we were business executives and, and mm-hmm. what we were doing and what we thought we were doing was identifying the future of financial services, right? This idea that there will be a phenomenal shift um, in large part based on the way people consume information and the way people um, interact with their financial portfolios and their financial future, but at the hands of a full digitization of an industry. Um, and, and like I said before, that, that digitization isn't just about the tech that the companies are built on or the tech that they're established on. It's about how do you, how do you create in a new world where digital is everything, a company that can um, mm. stand on its own two feet and, and grow and, and be successful and, and, and have a presence. And, and that is a much bigger mouthful than saying fintech. So when everybody <laughs> in 2014 started just calling it fintech, we gave in a bit and just said, okay, fine. Um, but we, we, we tend to like to say we were fintech before fintech existed and, and certainly before it was cool. Um, but it, but yeah, it's so much broader than technology. It's about creating the companies of the future. Sure. Um, and mm-hmm. um, if we have our role um, in it, if, if we do our job, both with the large financial institutions advising them on strategy and on, on, on business design and on new talent initiatives and, and advising and, and investing in entrepreneurs that, that have a, a sense of, of what the future needs, then the concept and the category of fintech should cease to exist because it will just simply be financial services. 
I love that. And I think, that, and by the way, I think that's true in media tech and sure. healthcare mm-hmm. tech and yeah. everything else that sort of gets the easy tech behind it. Yes, yes, a hundred percent. Well, Amy, your your path is so inspiring, as is your work. And so we're so curious, what do you think, and this may be an impossible question based on following your instincts, but we're going to ask it anyway. What do you think the next 10 years might hold for you? Is there something big and crazy at this point that you want to tackle in addition well, to all the, yeah. you know? Well, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I hope that it holds a lot more of the same. Mm. Um, I think once you get into a place in your career, which I feel very grateful to have, have gotten to where it doesn't feel like work anymore. And, mm. you know, I mean, all of us have sort of had moments in career where you resented having to get up and do something or, <laughs> or go and, and, and be somewhere. And, mm-hmm. and I, I can't tell you the last time I've sort of had that feeling, um, which makes me feel like I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Oh, that's awesome. Um, you know, specifically, I can't wait to see um, what happens um, as we grow the Anthemis footprint. Um, I think we have some amazing companies in our portfolio that are going to, um, for lack of a better term, change the world. Um, and, and I'm quite excited about that. Um, I'm excited about um, expanding um, both geographically, but but from a product perspective into kind of other areas where we can really use some of our um, entrepreneurial know-how um, in areas of social impact investing. And I think that will be something that in the next 10 years, I'll spend a lot of my time and energy on as well, mm-hmm. um, which I think makes me feel that I've gone full circle as well, right? That I have yeah. this, I have had this opportunity to work around really amazing people and learn some really amazing things and build an amazing network. And now there's an opportunity to really focus that all on doing things that are right. The other thing I think I'm really excited about for the next couple of years, and, and I, I think it's starting to happen. I know people have been really negative um, on the tech industry and, and on the VC industry lately as it comes to, to sort of diversity and inclusion. And I, I, I have to say, I, I'm feeling incredibly optimistic about it. I don't think there's ever been a time, certainly not in my lifetime, and, and I've grown up now in, in pretty male-dominated industries, first financial mm-hmm. services and Wall Street and then the entertainment industry. Um, so, and now, and, you know, and certainly the tech industry. So I, I can tell you that I've certainly never felt more... Um, powerfully aligned with a group of women and other um, folks that, that have been maybe part of, of, of the less majority um, inside of their careers and inside of their businesses up to this point. And, and I think that the, the level of um, partnership, teamwork, um, the voice, the fact that we're, we're talking about some of these stories that, by the way, are not new news. Um, and, and to anybody who thinks they are new news, it's, it's, it's shocking to me. <laughs> but the fact that we're talking about it and we're getting out there and we're, we're, we're encouraging people to do something about it, I think that's a really encouraging. And I think you're going to see that lead to a significant amount um, more openness in, in the workforce, um, certainly in a lot of the new companies that are being built. And, and, and I'm very hopeful for my my daughter that that she will be able to work and grow in an, and have ambition in a world that looks very different than than the world that I started out in in the early nineties and and that's exciting to me. That is exciting. That's very exciting. Oh my gosh! Well, what what a fantastic note to end on, Amy. Mm-hmm. It is now time. We have reached the point for the lightning round. Lightning round. <laughs> The way the lightning round works is it's very easy. We're just going to ask you a handful of questions, and all you have to do is answer with the first thing that pops into your brain. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we uh, will do our part to not 
ask follow-up questions, which is very tough for us. It is very hard. So uh, we are all challenged here. Okay. We are. Uh, Question one, what are you reading right now? Oh, I just finished a book, um, (laughs) Homegoing by Yaga Yasui. Ooh, fantastic. Okay. We'll add it to the bookshelf. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Question two, Bitcoin or Ethereum? (laughs) Oh, Ethereum. Mm hmm. I thought so. (laughs) Awesome. Question number three. What's something that you've recently added to your personal Venn diagram? And for us, that's a collection of interests that you have. So it could be um, something that maybe those who know you professionally don't know about, but something, Mm -hmm. a new interest that you've added recently. Surfing. Ooh. Ooh. Awesome. Okay. That, I have a lot of follow-up questions. Uh, I do, too. <laughs> I do, too. This is so hard. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, question four. What is a film or play that you've seen recently that you loved? Captain Fantastic. Oh. Okay. Amy, Kate, I just have to tell you, yeah, you're killing this lightning round. It's you fantastic. Are. You're doing <laughs> well so well. <laughs> um, okay, final question. Give a shout out for a woman who's doing awesome things in investing, uh, and that could be in, in any type uh, of investing. Someone you just think is doing a great job and you'd love to give a little love oh, to. Oh, I love that. Um, I'm going to give my shout out to Ruth Fox Blader, who's actually um, at Anthemis, and she's relatively new to the team. Um, and I just had a chance to, to start working with her, and I have just been blown blown away and inspired by everything she's doing. And it's making me very, very happy. Oh, that's awesome. awesome. Nailed it, Amy. You really did. <laughs> Amazing. Well done. I, I might put you in our top five. Oh, yeah. well, yeah. I think I will. I, I and following directions. Fully that's, support. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's not easy. It's not yeah. easy to not explain yourself. I know. I know. And I, you, everyone and you, wants to like yeah. give a little give a little apology for something, and you're like, no, <laughs> you no? you kept us on task too. Well, Amy, oh. it has been so fantastic to talk to you. I just I hope that person in the career services office at your college. <laughs> Uh, knows what you're doing now because it is such an inspiring story of what you called it, full circle. So thank you so much for sharing all of your great work with us. Oh, thank you, Christina and Kay. I really enjoyed this. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. 
That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done.